0: Yes, we're open. Living Faith with Needham UCC. A sermon podcast from the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ. Where no matter who you are, or where you are on life's journey, you're invited and welcome. This sermon for Sunday, August 15th, 2021, is entitled Simple and So Complicated. It's a reflection on a reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to find out more about our open and affirming ministries at the Congregational Church of Needham, United Church of Christ, simply head over to our website, www.needhamucc.org. Thank you. Our reading today comes from the Hebrew Bible. From the wisdom literature of the Hebrew scriptures from the book of Proverbs, chapter nine, verses one through six. I'm reading today from the contemporary English version, mostly. Let's listen together for a living word from God for us in these words from Proverbs, chapter nine. Wisdom has built her house with its seven columns, she has prepared the meat and set out the wine. Her feast is ready. She has sent her servant women to announce her invitation from the highest hills. All who are simple, all who are ignorant or foolish are invited. All of you are welcome to my meat and wine. If you want to live, give up your foolishness and let understanding guide your steps. Friends, God is still speaking to the world. May our hearts be open to listen and to respond. Amen. There are one or two things that we probably need to know to be able to receive this reading from the book of Proverbs well today. The first is that while it is called Proverbs, and while it is full of Proverbs, There is a point to this book beyond just simply listing these pithy sayings one after another, like bumper stickers. And that point is personified in our reading today, wisdom. The book of Proverbs, along with the book of Ecclesiastes and Job form what's called the wisdom literature of the Hebrew Bible, our Bible. They are part of a wider wisdom tradition, capital W, capital T, from across the ancient Near East. Teachers and schools and traditions concerned with the big questions of life, including the very biggest of all, how do we live a good life? Not surprisingly, that question has elicited different answers in different times and places, even across the hundreds of years encompassed in the Hebrew Bible. The Reverend Dr. Thomas Stagel, a pastor and theologian and author of a reflection on this very passage included in the Feasting on the Word commentary series, sums up this history so neatly, I'm going to, with gratitude, lean on him and paraphrase his work even further. Early in the history of God's covenant people in the Old Testament period, the answer seemed simple. So-called Deuteronomic theology offered a vision of an orderly, predictable universe. And the wise ones were those who followed the clear-cut rules set forth by God. God, in turn, would reward the faithful and punish the wicked in real time. Easy peasy. Then came the traumatic turning point in the history of that people, the apocalyptic experience of exile, which turned that vision of the world upside down. The answer was still simple, mind you. The world was still predictable, only terribly so. Now it was the good who suffered and the evil who prospered. The wise either risked martyrdom to oppose the wicked directly or went underground to maintain their faith and identity until God would make all things right and God would with a vengeance following their return from exile. The people longed for a return to normal, but normal, it seems, had moved on while they were away. Simple no longer satisfied, and certainty became problematic. What was left was an unpredictable world and ambiguous, even at times contradictory, answers. God suddenly seemed both present and absent. The law, a blessing and a burden, and human faith and faithfulness and divine grace and judgment all hopelessly, hopefully muddled together. In that moment, wisdom, true wisdom, could no longer be simply a school of knowledge to be mastered or an apocalyptic theology to be clung to, but rather had to be found somewhere in between somewhere else entirely, in between us, in living relationship, in between us and God. The personified wisdom of our reading today and of the wisdom literature stands not in some remote ivory tower or deep buried in a bunker, but rather in the very heart of the city, the heart of the messy world. From there, she cries out to us and to all other passers-by, hey, you, yes, you, you who are ignorant and foolish, certain and simple, no shade, all who want to be wise, come in out of the rain and share my table. It's free, and it's freeing. It will sustain you. Stay a while. Chat. Meet my family. Walk the city streets with me. Learn my ways. It's easy. And it's hard. But then what isn't? I've got some ideas. You've got some experience. Let's put them together and see what we can come up with. At least now we won't be alone. We're bored. I feel like we are in just that same sort of moment today. We're in the messy middle of something big. I'd say a paradigm shift if that phrase wasn't so terribly overused, just like unprecedented, the word of the year of 2020 and surprise, somehow still of 2021. All our old answers to the big questions questions about who we are and where we've been and where we're going. And just how we're supposed to get there, they no longer work, if they ever really did. Though still, we cling to them in increasing desperation. To put it biblically, the old has passed away, and behold, the new has yet to come. And normal, well, around here, normal is just a setting on the dryer but we are not alone. This has been my theme this summer so far, and it bears repeating. Our ancestors in faith are with us. They have been this way before. We do them a disservice when we believe our own struggle in the present to be unique and uniquely different. Certainly no, plagues have burned across the human landscape before, leaving millions dead in their wake. Certainly our forebears suffered through natural disasters, fire and floods, earthquakes and hurricanes, drought and famine. Certainly we can't pretend war or poverty or racism or sexism or ableism or homophobia or xenophobia are in any way new to our generation. They're not. Neither are the blessings of new technologies or their curses or our anxiety about them. Though perhaps in our ingenuity, we have found ways to accelerate and exacerbate all of these challenges. No, those who went before us all had their moments. This is ours. All of this, along with the very most common slow motion challenges of everyday living in families and communities by ourselves, birth growth, work, play, joy, pain, coming together, pulling apart, success, failure, illness, diminishment, and death. Objects in the mirror tend to loom a lot larger for their proximity to us. So like our grandparents, grandparents, great grandparents before us, we too listen for the voice of wisdom crying out today. We look to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, and ask what he would do and what he would have us do in our moment. And like generations of more or less faithful persons before us, we are completely and utterly frustrated with their same non-answer. Love. Love in loving relationship, loving God, which is loving our neighbor, which is loving ourselves. It's that simple, they say, and it's that hard. It's enough on my very worst days to make me want to push myself back from wisdom's table and check out completely. It's enough to make me want to go back to a time when, well, if life wasn't simpler, the answers sure were, at least for me if not for most. We see so many of our neighbors today doing just that, clinging to the black and white ideas of moral and legal law and order in this church and in the streets, utterly ignoring all the living, breathing shades of gray in between and between us, clinging to apocalyptic visions of the religious and political right and left, Coloring ours as an utterly dissolute world about to be spanked by an angry slash just God and turned right side up and us return to our rightful place on top. And so many of us, somewhere in between, feeling like we've got nothing to cling to. Out here, wandering from pillar to post, just trying to muster the courage to wake up in the morning and put one foot in front of the other. The world is just so complicated. Yet here is holy wisdom. The word of God made flesh in Jesus, giving us the simplest of simple answers. Love, one word, four letters. The Gospels, according to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, all tell us that when Jesus was asked for the very heart of our faith, the answer to all of the questions posed by the oh-so-complicated lives we lead, the universe, and everything, Jesus said simply, love. Okay, sure, Jesus, love. But what kind of love What does it look like, smell like, taste like? Should we love God or our neighbors or ourselves? Yes. But how? And how much? With all of your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your bodily strength. There is no commandment greater, no wisdom deeper than this on this hang all the law and the prophets and everyone everywhere. Well, friends, it doesn't get much simpler than that. Or does it? Because the truth is the church has struggled with this, frankly, often infuriating one word answer for 2000 years. We have Turned it this way and that, examining every facet of all sides, looking for a way in and a way out. Love, Jesus? Just love? And love for everyone? I mean, have you met people? Have you met me? Of course, some people deserve love, but a whole lot more don't. How are we supposed to tell the difference? What kind of wacky wisdom applies the same standard to every situation, every person? How does that ever make things easier? This can't possibly be all there is to wisdom, can it? Because it sure sounds simultaneously too simple and too enormous an undertaking. Surely there's more to it or less, loopholes, exceptions, cheat days? Is there maybe a handy chart to show me exactly whom to love and where and where and when and how and how much, like a sort of cosmic tip calculator? Or maybe an iPhone app? Or can't we just leave all the loving up to God? I feel like God is really the only one equipped for this. Or maybe just leave it for later. For the pie in the sky, by and by pipe dream days of heaven, when frankly, it won't really matter. With all due respect, Lady Wisdom and Lord Jesus, there's just too much at stake here and now. Too many real lives on the line to risk it all on love. Have you got anything simpler? The short answer is no but that's because love isn't actually the answer. It is the way and the life and the true wisdom. Love is both the root and the flower of the incarnation, the gift and the calling, the blessing and the responsibility that Jesus came to share with us. It's not some secret formula to solve all of our problems. Rather, love gives us a guide and a tool to transform the world, one relationship at a time and all together. Love empowers us while we are waiting for those hoped-for changes to take effect in others and in ourselves. And love supports us when inevitably that process takes longer than we like, when we ourselves stumble and fall and fall away. Love isn't the answer. It is both the beginning and the end of holy wisdom. It is the vision. It is the feast. And it is the eternally returning invitation. It is the very simplest thing we can imagine. It is the way to abundant life. And it is abundant living itself. And it is so, so hard. Easy to say hard to do, especially if you've developed a taste for more worldly wisdom. In that case, in our case, with our tastes, it is often unsatisfying, at least at first, until we've altered our expectations and learned to look for relationship more than answers. I've said it before, and doubtless I will say it again, of course the gospel is hard. If it were easy. Everybody would be doing it. But the good news is, everybody can do it with practice and encouragement and grace. That's what the original wisdom tradition was about. Not some secret knowledge reserved for a select few mountaintop teachers and their hand-picked disciples. Not even just for Jesus, but one simple commandment with infinite implications, and infinite applications. An ongoing open source solution God puts right into your hands and mine. That's what we do here Sunday after Sunday. We practice love with, as theologian Karl Barth famously said, the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. We come together to read our lives over together and learn to tell different stories about them, stories that account for everything, that include everyone and exclude no one, stories the like of which the world has never seen before. We come together to look past all the scholastic so-called certainties and the desperate apocalyptic hopes and fears for signs of true wisdom, lived wisdom, holy wisdom, holy love at work in the world. From the narrow, twisting streets of our own hearts, wisdom cries out, turn aside from the way you're on now and spend some time at my table. Talk with me, tell me about your life and I will tell you about mine and together we'll find a way forward. From the painful, joyful mess of his own life, Jesus also invites us. Follow me, he says. Watch me. Walk with me. Dine at my table. Take my yoke upon you. Take up your own yoke, your own cross, and learn from me. Learn with me. Live with me. Love with me. It may sound simplistic, but Love really is the map, the journey, and the destination. But God help us. God help us. It really is just that simple. Love. And so friends, if you've heard the word of God preached here today, remember to give all honor and glory to our one God, creator Christ and Holy Spirit. Amen.